Welcome to Cancer Care Connect Workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panels of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will begin at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Senior Director of Education and Training. Please go ahead. Thank you so much today, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop, Life with Graft-Versus-Host Disease, or GVHD, Post-Allogenetic Stem Cell or Bone Marrow Transplantation, New Treatment Approaches. And we're doing this program today on April 28th, 2022. So the information you're learning today is based on what we know as of today. And um, today's program is supported by Pharmacyclics LLC, an AbbVie company, and Janssen Biotech, Biotech Inc., administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs LLC. And I really want to thank them for their support of this program. Now, we have a lot of you on the call today. We have over 200 participants on this program today. You come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, and suburban and frontier communities, and from all different regions of the United States. And we also have international participants today from Cameroon, Canada, and the United Kingdom. So it's a bit of a global call as well. We're delighted to have all of you on the call today. You are clearly a group of information seekers. Now, before I introduce our first speaker, I just have a few questions I'd like to ask all of you. It'll take about two minutes. And um, those of you who are live streaming the program will be able to see the questions. And you'll also be able to, all of you will be able to hear me reading the questions. And you'll be able to rate your answer to the question. So on a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. I understand graft versus host disease or GVHD, post-allogeneic stem cell or bone marrow transplantation. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand how graft-versus-host disease or GVHD develops, including Finding GVHD early in the context of COVID-19 and Syrians, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand common signs and symptoms of GVHD and the different types of GVHD, chronic and acute. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now we just have two more questions. I understand the current standard of care for managing GVHD and new and promising treatment approaches for GVHD. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be the last question. I understand the role of clinical trials for people living with graft-versus-host disease, GVHD. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I want to thank you all for participating in these questions. 
It really allows us to have a better sense of what you know as you begin the program, and also it helps us to tailor the program to best meet your needs. And now it's my great pleasure to introduce our first speaker, and our first speaker is Dr. Samar Alhamsi, and Dr. Alhamsi is Professor of Clinical Medicine, New York University, Director of Blood and Marrow Transplantation, Perlmutter Cancer Center, NYU Langone Health. And Dr. Alhamsi will be addressing what is graft-versus-host disease, or GVHD, post-allogeneic stem cell or bone marrow transplantation, understanding how GVHD develops, including finding GVHD early in the context of COVID-19 and its variants, and common signs and symptoms of GVHD. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Alhamsi. Thank you, Carolyn, for organizing this important teleconference and for this kind introduction. I'd like also to thank the audience for joining us. I'll try in the coming few minutes to give you an overview of graft versus host disease, or GVHD, and hopefully set the stage for my colleagues. GVHD is the most common complication after donor or allogeneic blood and marrow transplantation, or BMT. It has a significant impact on patients' quality of life, and actually remains the main cause of treatment-related mortality after transplantation. To understand GVHD, uh, we must think of allogeneic BMT not only as the transplantation of blood-forming cells, known as hematopoietic stem cells, from the donor to the patient, but also the transfer of a new immune system into the recipient. As you probably know, immune systems are designed to recognize and attack what is not self or identical to self. This is, for instance, why when you get a virus, your system, your immune system, would recognize this virus as strange and attack it. Therefore, it's not surprising for a donor immune system transferred into a patient to recognize the patient's tissues and organs as foreign and attack them. This attack or immune reaction results in GVHD. In other words, GVHD is essentially a, a complication of allogeneic BMT, where the donor immune cells or lymphocytes would attack the patient's tissues, causing a variety of problems. What I'd like to say at this stage is that GVHD is not always bad. GVHD is the result of certain degree of incompatibility between the donor and recipient. And as I always tell my children, the success of any relation, whether it's between friends, couples, or between even a donor recipient of a transplant, is not necessarily about being compatible. It's about managing incompatibility. In fact, some degree of incompatibility is needed for the donor immune system to also recognize and destroy the cancer cells of the uh, recipient. Indeed, in case of perfect um, compatibility between the donor and recipient, like we see sometimes in what we call identical twins transplants, the benefit of allogeneic BMT could be lost because these donor immune cells would fail to recognize the recipient cancer cells and attack them. And essentially what I'm trying to say, and this is something that patients should always keep in mind, that five cases of GVHD do have some indirect benefits by reducing the risk of um, cancer coming back. Now, let me try to explain how GVHD develops, and to do that, it's important um, uh, to mention that it depends on the type of GVHD. Shortly, we'll hear from my uh, uh, colleague, Dr. D. Philip, about the different types of GVHD, 
but essentially it comes in two types, what we call acute GVHD, which typically develops during the first three or four months after a transplantation, and it develops rather um, uh, abruptly and progresses rapidly without proper intervention. Chronic GVHD, on the other hand, happens later, few months, up to two or three years after transplantation, and it sort of sneaks in and progresses very slowly. Now, in terms of manifestations of GVHD, this also depends on the type of GVHD. For instance, acute GVHD affects specific organs, the skin, and this is why patients get skin rash, sort of redness of the skin mainly, and the GI tract, in particular the guts, and this is why patients develop nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea, and affects also the liver. And at this point, patients could develop uh, jaundice or yellowish discoloration, if you wish, of the eyes and the skin. And then, you know, they would have abnormal blood tests that the provider would recognize easily on simple routine blood tests. Chronic GVHD, on the other hand, can affect any parts of the body. The mainly uh, affected organs are the skin, the eyes, uh, the mouth, the liver, and the lungs. But like I said, other organs uh, can be affected um, also. There could be also what we call systemic features, things like uh, loss of energy, um, uh, fatigue, loss of appetite, um, and, and wasting. When the skin is involved, uh, patients can present with different types of skin rashes. Um, they all have fancy names, but to make it simple, uh, the most common skin rashes is sort of, you know, purple and lace-like bumps, or what we call uh, um, a skin rash like scleroderma, and these are essentially changes of the skin where the skin becomes shiny, thin, loses its elasticity, and becomes sort of fixed to the deep tissues and becomes difficult uh, to pinch with fingers. Sometimes the skin can look like cigarette papers or can look like the skin of the uh, sailors, in particular on the neck in areas with long exposure uh, to sun. And sometimes the skin uh, can have sort of goose bumps or look like a chicken skin. So there are really different varieties in chronic GVHD skin rashes and your provider should be able to recognize them easily. But I think it's important for patients to also uh, get familiar you know, with all these manifestations so they can report it uh, promptly to their providers. The mouth can be affected, and at this point, patients would complain of redness, and when they are examined, um, the inside of the mouth could be red and can develop even ulcerations. The eyes are commonly affected, and patients would complain of dry eyes, and actually patients describe often this feeling as sand in the eyes. The joints can be affected, including, you know, the surrounding structures, and they become tight with limiting the range of motion um, of the different joints. The nails are commonly affected. Patients, you know, complain that their nails are breaking easily, and they have sort of ridging um, um, uh, when they are affected. Sometimes patients present with progressive shortness of breath, especially when they try to um, exercise, and that's typically, you know, be the result of sort of destruction and obstruction of the small airways. Sometimes you hear us using the word bronchiolitis obliterans, which is, again, little inflammation and destruction of the small airways. Um, the guts, again, um, gets affected with UHD. Um, the swelling cue, for instance, can lose mobility um, and um, get narrowed, uh, uh, sometimes with webs and patients would complain of difficulty swallowing with the food getting stuck when they are trying to swallow, in particular for solids. Otherwise, when the guts cannot absorb the nutrients, patients could start complaining of diarrhea. 
Um, other manifestations, the liver can uh, get also affected. And again, this, you know, jaundice or yellowish discoloration of the eyes and um, the skin would be the manifestation that would tell us first uh, if we did not pick it up earlier on simple blood tests. In women also, and this is something I think it's important to um, uh, always bring um, the uh, provider attention to, can have dryness and pain uh, during intercourse, um, and that can develop all the way to scarring and vaginal narrowing. Um, so, so these are some of the organs involved, but essentially, like I said, you know, patients can be affected to variable degrees. Not every organ is always affected at every case, but essentially every organ um, um, can be affected um, essentially from head to toes. What I would like to mention also for uh, the sake of our patients is that GVHD is a complicated process. Um, and there is, once it develops, there is no um, rapid fix. This is why the best way uh, to treat GVHD is to prevent it. And I must say that in the recent uh, years, um, we uh, became very excited about uh, preventing GVHD, and we made a lot of progress after decades of, uh, of essentially uh, very little progress. And we have made so much progress that I hope um, that when Caroline organized the next conference, she would change the title of the uh, conference uh, from life with GVHD uh, to life without GVHD. And I'm not exaggerating when I say we are not very far. We truly made a lot of progress. Until then, when a patient is diagnosed with GVHD, it means that he or she will require attentive and extended care for extended period of time. And it's important at this point for patients and care provider um, to develop this uh, very important three, uh, two-way communication. I always say the success of treating GVHD does certainly depend on the providers, but also does depend on, on patients. Patients must be aware and educate themselves on manifestations of GVHD and must bring them properly to the attention of their providers. This is in particular uh, important during the pandemic time where we saw some of the follow-up was not optimal uh, for obvious reasons. Um, I think I'm going to stop here at this point, um, and I'd certainly be delighted to um, get more in-depth into this or answer any questions uh, later during the conference. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Hamsi. You really have set a wonderful stage for today's program, just an outstanding presentation, and I look forward to the next program, which we will title Life Without GBHD. So it's really amazing that um, so much progress has been made, and I think that probably I'm sure that our audience, um, we can't see them, but I suspect that they are very, very delighted to hear this um, in the horizon. This is amazing. So thank, thank you so much for, for really setting that stage for this program today. Thank you. Um, and our next speaker is Dr. Zach DeFilippe, and Dr. DeFilippe will be addressing, um, well, first of all, he's the director of BMT Clinical Research Hematopoietic um, cell transplant and cellular therapy program, Massachusetts General Hospital, Assistant Professor of Medicine, Harvard Medical School. And Dr. Philippe will be addressing types of GVHD, chronic and acute, current standard of care for managing GVHD, and new and promising treatment approaches for GVHD. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Philippe. Okay, um, thank you, Dr. Messner, and also, uh, Thank you, Dr. Alhamsi, for that great introduction into GVHD. So I'm going to focus uh, my portion of this talk a little more on the treatment of Graffer's host disease, both the acute and chronic form. 
Uh, and Dr. Alhamsi just uh, went over a very nice overview of both acute and chronic GVHD. I'm going to just emphasize a few points uh, that I think about in these different types or forms of graft host disease as it pertains to treatment. Um, so as was discussed, acute chronic graft Acute graft host disease uh, occurs typically earlier on in the transplant process. So um, it's not defined by time, but it's more likely that you would see acute symptoms in the early months after the transplant. Um, the acute graft host disease symptoms are typically characterized by inflammation. Uh, and the most common form is a, is a skin rash. Uh, while a patients, although, can also have uh, either diarrhea, which would be inflammation in the lower GI tract, like in the intestines. Uh, you can also have uh, patients can experience persistent nausea, which can be sometimes inflammation a little bit higher up uh, in their GI system. And then also the inflammation that's seen in the liver um, can, sh can manifest itself uh, with abnormalities on lab testing. Uh, one of the key aspects of acute graft-first-host disease is kind of the more sudden uh, or acute onset of it, meaning that one day a patient may not have any symptoms, and those symptoms may show themselves uh, within 24 hours uh, uh, or even more quickly than that. Uh, thus, it's usually pretty important that we try to start uh, that that. The clinical team uh, knows about these symptoms when they occur and that there's a, there's a discussion about potentially starting a treatment soon, sooner than later. Um, not, uh, not all initial graft host disease presentations require oral medications. Um, so if a patient develops a skin rash, uh, it's important to go to clinic or speak with your clinical team. Um, when we think about diagnosing graft host disease, uh, oftentimes it's without an actual biopsy um, because sometimes uh, the process of getting the biopsy uh, can be a little bit difficult and sometimes it's interpreting the biopsy can be difficult as well. Uh, knowing the types of things that happen to patients uh, after transplant, uh, there are different other types of, you know, there could be medications or other things that could cause a skin rash, but often if it's felt that graft host disease might be the most likely cause of a skin rash, um, if it's still relatively limited uh, and it hasn't been widespread, uh, the use of uh, creams like a like a steroid cream might be implemented. And uh, in a good number of cases, a limited skin rash can be completely cured uh, and cleaned up just with a uh, with a uh, topical treatment. Um, however, if the skin rash is more widespread uh, or there's multiple organs involved, um, often some type of oral or IV medication might be necessary. Um, when a systemic agent, meaning an oral or an IV agent, is needed, uh, the standard for many, many years uh, and continues to be the use of corticosteroids, so uh, some type of steroid treatment, and the concept, once again, of the steroid treatment is that the steroids will bring down inflammation. Therefore, um, it will help alleviate, hopefully, the symptoms that are being caused by the graft host disease. Uh, for some patients, 
steroids alone may be able to clear up the symptoms. Um, uh, and uh, so it could be that a patient might need uh, a form of a steroid treatment and then, and then um, the symptoms will start to improve. And then typically uh, the way we approach GVHD is we start a treatment. If we see the symptoms are getting better, we slowly pull back the dosing on that treatment um, and then hopefully be able to get the patient off the medication fully with the, result, with the symptoms still being resolved. Although sometimes in that process, there can be little flares. So even if things are generally getting better, uh, there can be little ups and downs along the treatment road. Um, what is uh, good is that we now have additional treatments for graft-first-host disease in the acute setting. There is a oral medication called ruxolitinib. That is the only FDA-approved agent that we have at this point for the treatment of acute graft-first-host disease, uh, but there are a number of other uh, oral and some IV med uh, medications that have been used with a lot of success. Uh, and I think that uh, there's still a lot of research going on to how we can use these medications and new medications in different combinations to get uh, the best results with the least amount of side effects for patients. Uh, but at the same time, I think we're all... Uh, very happy with the success and progress that's been made in the recent years. Another place that a lot of progress has been made is in the, the treatment of chronic graft-first-host disease. So once again, as Dr. Alhamsi mentioned, the symptoms of chronic graft-first-host disease can really affect many, many organs within the body, not just three. And the onset of chronic GVHD is typically a little more slow going. So it's not always that it's a very delineated and clear, I didn't have symptoms one day and I have symptoms the next day, it kind of slowly you see the onset, and mainly because the symptoms can be very nonspecific. A symptom like a dry eye or a dry mouth or a or more subtle skin change, patients and caregivers may not notice it right at first, but if they kind of take a step back and think about, well, how were things about a month ago or even two months ago, you might be able to see that there has been a change. Um, once again, there are uh, situations where we can uh, treat certain manifestations of the disease without oral medications. So once again, different types of skin rash might be able to become responsive just to topical creams alone. Another place that local therapies are very common is in the mouth and for the eyes. So different types of rinses or swishes that can be used for GVHD that affects the, the mouth. And then also different types of drops for the eyes if, if GVHD affects the eyes. Um, once again, if the symptoms are more severe and or there are multiple organs involved, uh, some form of oral or IV medication will probably be indicated. Um, Similar to acute graft-first-host disease, the first line of oral treatment is typically a steroid with the same idea that a steroid medication would be able to decrease the inflammation, which is probably driving these uh, different symptoms. Uh, but in the chronic graft-first-host disease space, there are actually now three FDA-approved medications, two within the last year uh, for the treatment of graft-first-host disease. Uh, that have been associated with good response rate and relatively limited toxicities. Uh, these are 
oral, all three are oral medications. One is called ibrutinib, one is called ruxolitinib, and the third is called belumosidol. Uh, and I would encourage you that if you are having chronic graft-versus-host disease symptoms uh, and you are under treatment, uh, these are medications you may want to discuss uh, with your provider. Um, uh, similar to a gra acute graft-versus-host disease, uh, we've made a lot of progress, uh, but there's a lot of very interesting and exciting uh, new agents and new combinations of these agents that are being explored uh, to see if we can improve the outcomes for patients who have chronic graft-versus-host disease. Uh, so with that, uh, I will uh, stop and uh, I will also be available to address some questions later on in the program. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. DeFilippe. That was really outstanding. Just a wonderful presentation. Um, a lot of invaluable information for our participants, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you so much. Um, and our next speaker is, Nandita, is, is Dr. Nandita Kara, and Dr. Kara um, is a consultant, Division of Hematology Oncology, Department of Internal Medicine, Associate Professor of Medicine, College of Medicine, Mayo Clinic. And Dr. Kara will be addressing clinical trials, how research increases treatment options, key questions to ask your healthcare team about quality of life concerns, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepare list of questions, follow-up care, and discussion of open notes. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Kara. Thank you, Dr. Messner, um, and thank you for the opportunity to be here today. So I will um, start by um, addressing the topic of clinical trials, and for that, uh, the first thing I would like to say is clinical trials are a small portion of the overall research umbrella um, because research is a broader term that would include observational studies, um, clinical trials, and basic science projects. In the area of graft-versus-host disease, research has improved our understanding of the basic biology and how GVHD happens to um, then help us work on new treatment approaches to target specific pathways um, and, and get better results. Research has also helped us understand the benefits and risks of existing treatments to help the clinicians choose what is the best possible treatment for their patients. And finally, um, research in this area has helped us understand that it is not just clinical outcomes like survival that matter, but also patient-reported outcomes and how they feel about their symptoms that need to be assessed carefully when deciding the effectiveness of treatments. As most of you will realize, it is not a very frequent complication, and so there are a lot of challenges in conducting studies in this area, such as um, biases that may happen um, at specific institutions. You know, uh, uh, one place may want to treat GVHD a certain way, whereas the others a different way. There can be challenges in staging, and there can be um, challenges in understanding the long-term practices, which are usually based on resources and the experience that the clinicians bring to the table. Um, to try and overcome some of these challenges, uh, the one good thing that has happened in this area is a lot of um, groups or so-called multi-center consortiums have come together to try and perform research in the area, which has definitely helped the research move forward better. Um, so I just want to give you two examples. There is one called MAGIC, which is a Mount Sinai Acute GVHD International Consortium, and they have done a lot of work in the area of acute graft-versus-host disease. 
And then there is a chronic GVHD consortium, and um, both Dr. Develop and I are a part of that. I'm not sure, uh, Dr. Alhamsi, if, if uh, your institution is a part of that too. In addition, we have um, BMT Clinicals Trial Network, which is a group of almost 100 centers, um, transplant centers across the country that conducts area, uh, trials in this area of uh, bone marrow transplantation, specifically in the space of graft-versus-host disease. And there are a lot of trials that have been done or are ongoing that hopefully will improve our understanding of, of this problem. And finally, um, we have a registry, we have a transplant registry that um, has a special working committee that conducts studies that are related to the biology, the prevention and treatment of graft-versus-host disease and its complications using data that has been collected from most of the patients who have received an allotransplant in the U.S. Before I move on, I also want to describe a little bit about what kind of endpoints or outcomes we look when we do research in this area. Um, for first, um, the, the endpoints will be somewhat dependent on whether the study is for prevention or treatment of graft-versus-host disease. For example, for prevention trials, usually the, the outcome or the primary endpoint that is chosen is a higher grade or higher severity of GVHD because those are the ones that will require some sort of systemic treatment, as Dr. DeFillip mentioned. Um, you know, if it's only a low grade, then sometimes just um, topical treatments will be useful and may not need much more in terms of research for that. And also because it is the higher grades of graft-versus-host disease that have an impact on overall um, quality of life and, and um, survival outcomes, and that is why we cho choose them as our endpoints. For treatment tri um, trials, we use uh, survival-free of the underlying disease, freedom from graft-versus-host disease manifestations, and improvement in symptoms, function, and quality of life usually as, as the endpoints. Um, <clears throat> So how does research increase treatment options? Dr. DeFillip has, has mentioned that there are some newer exciting treatments for both acute and chronic GVHD that have been approved by the FDA recently, and so that has definitely changed the landscape um, of, of treatment. Um, and that has been obviously based on extensive research that has been done in this area. Most of these studies were uh, multi-center studies and done prospectively, um, including there were two studies that are international. Um, the one challenge is that some of the studies had a small sample size, and so we, we will need to see how they are actually doing in real world when, once we start using these medicines on a much larger scale. Um, there are other studies uh, ongoing for graft-versus-host disease that are investigating new agents, um, trying to combine them together with the goal that, uh, especially for severe graft-versus-host disease, if we can come up with um, treatments that spare steroids because steroids are the mainstay of treatment and have been the mainstay of treatment for years and years, but we know that they have a lot of risks. So what we are trying to do is develop approaches that, that do not have steroids or can help us taper the steroids quicker to avoid all those complications. One example I wanted to give you for um, trial in the space of acute graft-versus-host disease is um, what we call microbiome therapeutics, or that is where we would use engineered or cultivated bacteria that can help improve the, the composition of bacteria in the gut and ultimately help in healing inflammation and improving the immune system. Um, studies have shown that patients who have had an allogeneic transplant and have less diversity of their 
gut bacteria are more likely to get um, uh, an infection or graft-versus-host disease, and that is the rationale for doing this study to see if we can help prevent um, graft versus host, severe graft-versus-host disease and infection. Um, there is an ongoing trial um, that is being conducted currently at um, Morris Sloan Kettering um, in New York and University of Chicago, and we will be opening it soon, and I'm um, sure that there will be many other centers that will be joining in that trial, which is definitely an exciting um, trial. So overall, I think this is a very exciting time, um, and as Dr. Alhomsi said, our goal is to make sure that we can completely eradicate this problem after allogeneic transplant. So the second topic I was asked to cover is questions to ask your team about graft-versus-host disease. So um, I think the main thing is, in general, uh, most transplant centers will share a list with, your, with uh, you all, um, especially when you're ready to transition out from their systems, that will point you to things that should be considered as red flag or symptoms for graft-versus-host disease that would need you to alert your transplant team. And these could be dry eyes, dry mouth, um, discoloration or thickening of skin, basically all the symptoms that Dr. Alhamsi went over. So we would ask that you report not only to your treating doctor, especially if you have um, uh, gone back home and are not at the transplant center, but also I encourage my patients, and I'm sure all transplanters do, is reach out to your transplant team again. Just let them know what's going on so that they can um, they can delve deeper into it and they can work with your treating physician nearer home um, to be able to manage it. If you do develop graft-versus-host disease, some of the questions to consider asking are what medicines will you be on? What will the side effects of those medicines be? How will they interact with all the other medicines that you're on? Um, it is okay to ask how long will the treatment be, and that will ultimately depend on how severe your GVHD is and how you respond to it. Um, you may also want to ask what precautions do you need to take and how can you take care of your overall health. Um, it is also good to ask if there are any clinical trial options for you because that definitely opens up the uh, number of treatments that are available. And finally, I think you can ask how will it impact your quality of life, your ability to function normally, how frequently will you need to follow up with your transplant team, will it be possible for you to go back to work if you have GVHD, and all of those questions that will um, impact the non-medical aspects of care. The third area that I was asked to cover is the role of telemedicine. And as you all realize, the COVID-19 pandemic has lead, led to an increased use of virtual care or telemedicine as a way of delivering care for our patients. Um, you may already have done some of those. It can be an audio-only phone visit or a video visit using a web-based platform that is used by your center. The telemedicine may not be very useful for our patients with acute GVHD because they are usually being followed very closely by the transplant team till about 100 days after transplant. Um, but obviously, it works out very well for the BMT patients when it happens after 100 days who have, uh, for our patients who have moved back home um, and are far from their transplant center. Um, this use of telemedicine can help discourage the risk of COVID-19 with travel and coming to the hospital. However, there may be some cases where this is not such a good idea. For example, if the patient is developing very rapidly evolving symptoms that need to be actually examined in person and with a possible need to be even admitted to the hospital, 
um, then uh, an in-person visit probably would be much better than a telemedicine visit. It could also be if a person is on treatment for, say, chronic GVHD, and we need to examine their skin um, or their eyes or whatever um, manifestation of GVHD they have, then they would they would need to be seen in person. The telemedicine visit should still be able to give you an opportunity to ask all your questions from the transplant team as above. Um, if possible, I, we do encourage your caregiver or loved one to be there for the telemedicine visit, same as if you would come in for an in-person visit. You should let your team know if you don't feel comfortable using the technology to do the telemedicine visit or don't have a broadband or device to be able to do it optimally or have concerns about maintaining privacy or confidentiality with a telemedicine visit. It's okay to also ask if your telemedicine visit are going to be reimbursed the same way as, as an in-person visit, which should be the case at least for now because we have the pandemic health emergency, but um, definitely moving on in future, that would be uh, another question to ask. We know that telemedicine is here to stay, and it would be up to us as patients and practitioners who take care or who suffer from a chronic diagnosis such as chronic GVHD on how we use it for its benefits and avoid the challenges. Um, so at the end, I would like to remind everyone that GVHD is a complication of transplant that can impact both mortality and morbidity of this procedure. Your transplant team is the best resource for you to discuss issues around this, such as impact on quality of life or finances. Um, to encourage you to not wait till things are in crisis mode, both from a medical or non-medical standpoint, plan ahead, ask your team about questions, and Ask them to connect you with resources such as Be The Match or Cancer Care. Um, and with that, I will turn it over to Dr. Messner, who can go over some of those resources for you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Kara. That was a superb presentation, just wonderful um, information for our participants. Thank you so much. 
Um, and um, we now um, um, are going to, um, before um, we've, we move, I'm just going to say a few words now about cancer care services. Um, so I just want to go over those with you so that you can access some additional help um, that you may need um, from cancer care. So cancer care is a national nonprofit organization, and we provide a free support services to people living uh, throughout the United States. Um, and we have about 40 master's level trained oncology social workers, and they're available to offer a host of services. Um, and they are here, um, and they could do many things. So many people call us on our HOPE line, it's an 800 number, 800-813-4673, and they will speak to the oncology social worker, will pick up the phone, so phones are answered by um, a social worker when you call. And usually people have a specific question or concern, and then they go over with the um, in addition to answering or addressing their concern or question, um, they then go over with the person who calls all the services of cancer care because there may be other things that they need that they haven't thought about. So I'm going to give you a picture of some of those services. We do offer both practical, financial, and co-payment assistance to people living in the United States, and that's very helpful to people at this time. Many people have issues of food insecurity or problems in paying their rent or mortgage, so there are issues around those issues that can be um, that can be an issue for for people, um, you know, and and we um, we will assist you with with those things. And we also provide just practical financial assistance as well. And um, we have a case management team. If we don't offer the help that you need, they will go with you virtually. Those staff they'll take you to resources that will help you again with issues around food security or mortgage or rent or things like that. And they will help you to get. Um, support you need um, for them. And they will, it may be a local organization, a regional or a national organization. And for people who are listening internationally, um, please do go to our website, www.cancercare.org. And if you have a question or concern, please post it there because one of our oncology socialists will get back to you with resources that exist in your area and region or internationally that could be of assistance to you. I mean, in addition to that, we often uh, we offer online support groups, and people often like them because they occur not in real time like this program today, but they occur, people can post any time in an online support group. And we have many online support groups on different types of uh, uh, people who are coping with different types of cancers or um, different um, types of uh, issues um, like GDHD or any type of topic that you can think of. And we also offer online support groups for people who are caregivers who may be um, young adult caregivers or middle-aged caregivers or older adult caregivers or partners or family, friends. Um, so we, the groups are, there are just many, many different groups and people often find them very, very helpful. In addition, um, we do offer these, these programs, about 75 of them per year. We also offer uh, coping circles, which are smaller groups in which people um, can address a topic and discuss some of their emotional and social issues um, as a um, it's kind of an open group and it's done as a Zoom call and many people find that very helpful as well. And we also offer many publications as well. And I just want to conclude with one other thing we do offer. Many people um, with cancer um, um, have a pest. Um, you know, animal companions that they have, and they often cannot afford the cost of the, the food or the someone to help care for the pet when they're not feeling well. 
walk, if it's a dog, walk the dog or change a little box or those kinds of things. And so we do have a program called the um, Pet Assistance Program. And many people find that very helpful. It's an additional program that we have um, that really um, makes a huge difference in people's lives. Um, and so just to let you know about those are the range of services we offer. Now, um, before we move on to the, uh, to the Q&A, um, we're just going to ask you again just about five questions. It'll take about two minutes, and then we'll go right on to the Q&A. So please um, get ready. Uh, have your questions all set up. Um, and we'll we'll try to take as many of your questions as possible. So um, th the first question I'm going to ask all of you, and those of you who are live streaming the program, you'll be able to see the question, and you'll be able to rate your answer. And again, those are people who are live streaming the program. So the first um, question I have for all of you is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of graft versus host disease, or GDHD, post-allogenetic stem cell or bone marrow transplantation. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how GDHD develops, including finding GBHD early in the context of COVID-19 and its variants. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of common signs and symptoms of GBHD and the different types of GBHD, chronic and acute. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now just two questions left. Um, the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the current standard of care for managing GVHD and new and promising treatment approaches for GVHD. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be the last question. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the importance of participating in clinical trials for people living with graft-versus-host disease. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I want to thank all of you for participating in these questions. It really helps us to best tailor the programs to meet your needs so that um, you're really very helpful to us as we plan programs in, in 2022. And now I'm going to ask Sadai to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. And Sadai will explain to you how to queue up for questions. Thank you, Dr. Messner. And ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then one on your touchstone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you in the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Thank you. And um, this is a question for Dr. Alhamsi. It's from one of our participants online. Um, I recently had an audio, auto, I'm sorry, I recently had an auto transplant for myeloma, which was successful with no side effects. 
my oncologist suggested an aloe transplant in the next few months. Is there any correlation between the success in in auto transplant and likelihood of getting GVHD? Um, the simple answer is no. I would not see a relation between, you know, a previous autotransplant and impact on the incidence of GVHD if the patient, you know, gets an allo after that. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks. Um, and then, um, And this is a question for Dr. D. Philip. Um, how can I cope with anxiety surrounding the possibility of developing GVHD and other symptoms? So, um, having anxiety about what may happen during the transplant process is something that I think every patient and caregiver goes through, uh, you know, to different degrees uh, during their transplant experience. Um, you know, there's a wide range of possibilities of what may happen, uh, and um, uh, it can be very difficult on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, feeling like it's hard to sometimes embrace uh, that things may be going well now uh, with the potential that things may not go well in the future. Um, but, you know, it, it really does require, um, you know, a way of yeah, really, I think, reaching to, out to your clinician team uh, and as well as relying not only on yourself but on your, you know, um, support, you know, family or friends um, to try to f look, take the transplant process on a day-by-day -day basis. I, I, I tell patients that, um, you know, none of us have a crystal ball of what might be tomorrow uh, and, and that we should really try to, um, every day that's a good day is a day that we need to kind of embrace. Um, similarly though, what I would say is that the, your clinicians uh, maybe will help kind of guide you to specifically where you are in your transplant process. And what I mean by that is that, um, you know, it, it's not that every day of the after a transplant, the risks for different complications are the same. You know, things change over time. There are early on after transplants, there's certain things you have to look for uh, that are very, maybe a lot less likely to happen later on. And then there may be things that may happen way later on that you don't need to be uh, concerned about early on. Uh, so kind of being in frequent communication with the team to kind of say, hey, what are the things that might need to be on my list of of things that I, I should be aware of uh, can maybe help narrow um, narrow your focus on a day-to-day -day basis. Very helpful. Thank you so much. Excellent. Um, and another question um, now for Dr. Kara. Um, from a clinical trial perspective, what are some validated tools or methods to capture early manifestations of GVHD? Which patients would benefit most from clinical trials? for preemptive GVHD therapy or um, at first sign of GVHD or those with highest risk of GVHD? Um, let me answer the first part and then, Carolyn, maybe you can repeat the second um, portion. Yep. So 
in terms of the early signs, um, so forth, uh, I think clinical exam is the best way to capture um, early manifestations. However, there is work being done uh, in the area looking at what we call biomarkers, um, which is you know chemicals in the blood that we can look at, and they may not help us um, definitively diagnose uh, the GVHD, but they can definitely help us in um, looking at how a person may respond to um, their treatment and what their prognosis would look like. So those can be sometimes used as well um, to, as, as uh, you know, markers for GVHD that then can be followed uh, on a trial to see how they respond. Um, can you go over the second question, yes. please? Yes, and it may actually relate to what you just answered. So, um, so which patients would benefit most from clinical trials for preemptive GVHD therapy or at first sign of GVHD or those with highest risk of GVHD? I think that's a great question. We always struggle with, um, you know, doing anything uh, before the GVHD has a chance to develop, but you're very right. There are certain patients that we know based on certain clinical criteria based on, uh, you know, who their donor is or what kind of uh, uh, regimen they got or if they got preferred blood versus bone marrow that would be at a higher risk for GVHD, either acute or chronic. Um, and so uh, the prevention trials definitely can be targeting those patients that are would be a higher risk even if they have not yet developed GVHD. Um, the, the treatment trials usually uh, are, are based on once the manifestation have already started in order to try and um, uh, address them sooner rather than later so that they don't progress. Um, I hope that that uh, clarified your uh, point or your uh, answered your question. And I don't know if thank Dr. So DeFilip or Dr. Alhomsi may want to add something to that. Well, thank you. Do, would either would Dr. Alhomsi or Dr. DeFilip want to answer, address further this question? No. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Thank you. Um, and we do, you know, recommend in all of your questions that you do take this information back to your treating healthcare team and ask them, so you get additional information. Um, and then um, this is a question um, for Dr. Alhamsi. Have you noticed a flare of GVHD in your patients that have received vaccinations against COVID-19? That's an excellent question. Um, I think we also sort of, you know, um, uh, rare reports of, um, you know, GVHD after vaccine. Um, I'm, I'm not convinced, um, and I would still certainly, you know, encourage patients to get the vaccine and not to worry about that. Regardless, I think the benefit of vaccine is substantial, especially in our patients who are immunocompromised and at risk for the disease and severe form of the disease. So I really, you know, would uh, um, ask patients not to worry about that risk, although, you know, you can discuss it certainly with your provider and bring it up during the discussion. But I think at this stage, uh, we all feel that, you know, uh, getting vaccinated is more important than any, any potential risk. And like I said, the reports have been scattered and they are not confirmed, you know, in uh, well-controlled studies. Um, this is, again, a question that I'd be interested in hearing the other speakers, what their thoughts are on. Do Dr. Jalip or Dr. Kara want to comment further? I can only uh, say that when that 
comes up um, as a question to me. Uh, what I tell my patients is that we're not sure if they're having that kind of a side effect with the vaccine, that they will have that if they were to contract COVID. And so in that manner, you know, prevention still, I would say, is the best possible option we have. And uh, as Dr. Alhamsi said, I try to encourage them um, to get the vaccine and avoid severe COVID, which, again, could could have similar manifestations that we don't really know very well about. And Dr. DeFilippe, do you want to add anything? Or? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, the concern, right, is that the that the vaccination, when it stimulates the immune system, that the immune system could be stimulated in a way that could flare the the graffers host disease and. While I don't think that that's something that we've seen commonly, we've had many patients after transplant be vaccinated. I mean, there have been a few cases uh, where we have seen people with flares of GVHD at some period early on after a vaccination, but it becomes really hard to know how much of that was related to the vaccine directly uh, or not. Um, I think as Dr. Kara mentioned earlier on, um, or in other discussions that Evusheld, which is the monoclonal antibody, uh, is something that's now starting to be used in patients uh, a little more frequently as well after transplant um, and um, uh, may avoid some, some of those uh, potential concerns, um, but still recommending vaccinations for our patients. Excellent. Um, and um, we have a question now for, um, for Dr. Alhamsi. Um, if the donor recipient HLA human leukocyte antigen match are the same, will I still get GVDHD? Uh, thank you for that question. The answer is yes. And even if it's a match, there is still risk of GVHD. Um, and the reason is that, you know, when we tell you there is a match, we are matching what we know. There are many things we know little about that we do not uh, look for and we do not match. Sometimes we call these minor uh, um, antigens. So that, the simple answer, again, is yes, even if, you know, you are told that, you know, the donor is full match or what we call sometimes 12 out of 12 match, there is still risk of GVHD, and your provider will discuss all of this with you and still prescribe prevention um, to avoid uh, the incidence of GVHD. Excellent. Thank you. And for Dr. D. Philip, um, I have BCOR mutation. May I receive chemotherapy for bone marrow transplant? Say that question one more time. I have BCOR mutation. May I receive chemotherapy for a bone marrow transplant? Um, so uh, that form of uh, of mutation uh, can be seen with uh, uh, different types of uh, diseases. Um, and I think it'll be important to know uh, whether, uh, you know, what are the other aspects of of your disease and um, being able to put the, together a picture of risk. So um, transplant in general is something that we consider uh, providing for patients who have a high-risk disease. Uh, and the high-risk disease can be, is often characterized by the type of the disease and so maybe some of its characteristics, meaning what types of mutations there may be or not. Uh, but there can be other factors that play into that as well, especially when we're thinking about a donor transplant, an allogeneic transplant, like we've been talking about mainly today. 
There are a number of other important factors, including, uh, you know, the availability of a donor uh, that, that all kind of come into, um, that are all important and essential things that we have to consider when making a, that overall recommendation. Uh, so uh, it, it may be that, that a transplant might be the, the uh, a treatment option for you, but it would re require, you know, a full consultation uh, with your clinician to go over all the aspects of disease and care uh, to see if it would be the ultimate recommendation in your case. And um, and uh, let's see, this will be the last question. Um, well, actually, um, I'm, this um, is for Dr. Kara. Um, how long do you recommend taking steroids for? I heard that you have to stop after a certain period of time. Why is this? Um, the lowest amount of time would probably be the best. However, a lot of uh, the factors, including how well you're responding to your other treatments, may dictate that. Um, if you keep developing flares, then uh, it might be that your doctor will increase the steroids even if you were coming down on those. So I think that's a very individualized decision. Um, like I said, our best choice would be to do it for as short of a time as possible, but unfortunately, especially with chronic GVHD, that sometimes is not possible because of the way or because of the trajectory of this disease. But um, even so, our hope is to try and come up with agents that can help us get you off the steroids as quickly as possible. And I'm going to just, one more question, and that will be the last question um, um, for Dr. Alhamsi. Um, is there a cure for, G for chronic GVHD or only management options? No, there is cure. There is a substantial number of patients who ultimately would get off all immunosuppressive therapy and be cured. Um, so it doesn't mean necessarily the diagnosis of chronic GVHD that it's treatment for life. Many of the forms of chronic GVHD are very mild and require sometimes very simple treatment, especially if detected early. I think Dr. DePhilip mentioned that some forms could be treated with sort of, you know, simple topical steroids, and this is all what's needed. Even in uh, the most severe forms, more advanced forms, many patients at some point, you know, can get off immunosuppression and stop treatments and go on with life. So, you know, chronic GVHD does not mean necessarily, you know, uh, uh, treatment forever. Um, and like I said, um, and you heard from the other speakers, progress is being made. New medications are being introduced. You know, I remember a few years ago, we had nothing besides steroids. And once, you know, patients failed steroids, we didn't have anything. You know, over the last uh, few years, three medications were approved by the FDA, and I'm aware of several others uh, 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 in advanced research and would be able to add them, you know, to our tools. Um, so um, the answer is uh, no, you know, chronic GVHD does not mean treatment to life. Excellent. That's a wonderful question to end with. And I want to thank um, our speakers. Um, I want to thank all of the speakers being so fantastic. And I want to thank also our participants for really asking such really excellent questions, really. Um, although we've done this program before, I think that the, it's a whole different level of discussion today and a very, um, uh, and a lot of, a lot of very uh, hopeful and important information that our speakers have imparted to all of you. And um, so I want to thank you all. And I, I do, and uh, we did say this would be an hour program, and so I do want to respect all of your time. And in wrapping the program up, I do want to say a few things about those of you who, I know we have many questions left in queue, and so I want to address 
all of you in queue. So for those of you in queue, um, or those, either those who've asked a question, for those of you who have a question that you didn't get to ask, and for those of you who have a question you'd still like to ask, um, we ask you to go back to your treating healthcare team. They know you the best, they know the most about you, and to some extent they're, um, so whatever you've learned today, please take it back to your treating healthcare team and uh, ask them the question. You can see today's program as a role play in asking your question, um, and now take it back to your team. And one thing, if you've learned today is that all questions are wonderful and important. It's your question. It needs to be addressed and answered. So all the questions that people asked today were incredibly valid and important questions to ask. Um, and so please also take that away. Um, also, as we conclude the program today, I would not want any one of you to feel you're alone in coping with GVHD or any type of um, cancer or our blood cancer, I want you to know that you're now part of a community of support and we're all here to help you. You do have information about cancer care. Um, and you'll be getting um, tomorrow a survey monkey from cancer care, which will include your evaluation of the program today, but also we will include resources for you that you can um, access. Um, uh, so any information we gave out today and other information as well that we think would be useful and credible resources. We want you to go to credible resource sites. I know many of you like to check things out on websites, but we want to send you websites that are very well respected and that also have um, credible information that's checked on a regular basis, which means really in today's world it has to be checked very frequently because indeed information is constantly evolving and changing. So um, with that being said, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.